Thank you so much for that beautiful music. I want to thank you also for being with us this Sabbath. We are trying to do our best to be safe and make a spot where you can come and worship together. Some of you are choosing to stay at home, and we honor that as well. But we do want you to know that we are endeavoring to do our best to make this an environment of safety and pleasant worship as we come before God. Part of that effort is to create a registration. As, as you noticed this morning, we are giving you um, cards so that when you come in, we have to keep track of everyone who is here because of COVID regulations. And an easy way to do that is to give you a card. So each morning now, once you get a card, you just scan it and you're here and we know it. So thank you very much for putting up with a little bit of a wait this morning. But um, I'm glad that, that you are with us. And if you come anytime after this Sabbath, we will continue to register and make your access and, and your time here uh, as pleasant as possible. You know, families are funny things, aren't they? <clears throat> I don't mean funny in the sense of humorous. Families are a strange and a wonderful thing but also, you might say, a dangerous thing. Because in family, we love most. We love best in families. The closeness that's there, the potential there for deep abiding relationship is more than anywhere. But also, with that closeness, as you know, comes the potential for deep woundedness. When you draw close, you can also be wounded deeply. No one can bless you like a family can bless you. And no one can hurt you like a family can hurt you. We've been talking about the church for a few weeks now. And we've been looking at major pictures that are used in the Bible to talk about the church. We're in our fourth of six weeks on this topic. And this series, we're focusing on the major pictures that the Bible gives of the church. There are more than 80 that are used, 80 words and figures that are used to talk about the church in Scripture. And each metaphor, each word metaphor gives us a unique thought and truth about the church. Each conveys some purpose, some design that God has for His church. We've talked about the church as ecclesia, the called out ones. We've taught, we've examined the church as God's bride. We've looked at the church as his interconnected body. And this week, <clears throat> we will take a look at the church as God's family. It's used that way more than any other in scripture. It's a, it's a powerful image, powerful because family is central when it comes to relationships. Family Family is where we have the potential for these close, fulfilling, enduring relationships. And family is also the place where we can be most deeply wounded. Childhood, for me, is a distant memory. But I can still recall a few things. One in particular that stays with me was the year that my dad signed up to coach our 
Little League baseball team. I was so pumped. I was so proud. I was so excited. My dad was going to be our coach. It wasn't long, however, before he began missing games, missing practices. There were a hundred excuses, but I knew even at eight, even at nine, whatever I was around that age, even at that age, I knew, I knew what was happening. I knew it was drink. That disappointment that I experienced as a young boy is still impactful in my life. Relationships, there's potential for love so deep and rich, but there's also potential for love that can be deeply wounded. Nobody can hurt you like members of a family can hurt you. And no one can bless you and encourage you also and strengthen you like members of your family. Graduation from Walla Walla College back then in that day was a big day for me. I still remember it. My parents were there, my grandparents, my in-laws, and my girlfriend's parents. Have you met my girlfriend, by the way? Look carefully. You'll see her, for which I am so grateful to God that she's still my girlfriend. I can hardly remember any of the details of that day. So much was going on, except one thing I do recall was my grandfather on my mother's side, his congratulations to me. He was born in Italy, came to the United States as a young boy, nine years old, and he always had a way of welcoming us. He would kiss our cheeks, he would kiss our eyes, and then he would rub our nose. And that's what my grandpa did to me. And as he did that for me that day, he also had a blessing for me. A blessing that has enriched my life ever since. Family relationships, they have some of the greatest potential for strength, for good, and the greatest challenge for wounding and pain. Life Life's most fulfilling relationships are with family. Now, my family isn't unique. You have powerful memories that you've recorded in your mind, in your family scrapbook of blessings. And I imagine there's also some skeletons too there somewhere that you have. And it's true not only for you and me, but In the Bible, look there. Every time I read it, I'm amazed at the family blessings and also the family strife that the Bible records. Cain, the firstborn of the first parents, Adam and Eve, kills his brother Abel and then unleashes a line of family chaos, Cain. Jacob deceives his brother and his dad and his in-laws and and tries everything he can just to get ahead. That's all he's interested in. Joseph, his brothers are so jealous of him that they they want to kill him. And his father is so blind, he can't see that what he's doing is destructive to his family. Jeremiah, Jeremiah's family deserted him because they didn't like his message. They didn't think he should be preaching what he was saying. And even Jesus' family thought he was a bit off. They thought he was crazy at one time and tried to bring him home to spend a little bit of 
quiet time. Nothing is more powerful and nothing is more challenging than family. That's why, it, that's why I think it makes sense. And yet, it doesn't make sense, both at the same time, that God uses this image of family as one of his prominent stories of his people, his people in God's word. It's one of the most common in the New Testament. And it's an image that goes from beginning to end in Scripture. You remember the time when Jesus took his disciples aside and said to them and to others, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, my mother. I love that verse, Matthew 12, verse 49 and 50. Jesus said, This is my family. You are my family, says Jesus. And because that's the case, you're also my family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And that image is woven so deeply. That image of family of God is so, it's so deep in Christian thought that you almost miss it because it's so ordinary. Every time I lift up my voice in prayer, I'm praying to my Father in heaven. We often speak of each other, don't we? As brothers and sisters in Christ, we're talking about family. My relationship with you, your relationship with me transcends ordinary bonds. We're not merely friends. We may be different. We may come from different places. We may be different nationalities. We may come from different ethnic backgrounds. But we share a common bond. We're family. Paul affirmed this in talking to the believers in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. He says this, Both the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's us, are of the same family. Don't you love that? All of us are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed, Jesus is not ashamed to call them, to call you his brother, his sister. What do you think of that? You're Jesus' brother. I'm Jesus' brother. You're Jesus' sister. And he's not ashamed to say that. That says a lot to me. When I came to Walla Walla College back then, you know, years ago, I was still wet from my baptism. It had only been a few weeks of being baptized that I was enrolled as a transfer student at Walla Walla College and I entered and began taking all sorts of courses in theology because my general ed requirements were all filled up. I had completed those at, at uh, Western Washington State College in, in Bellingham. And so I was immediately immersed into exegesis, which is the study of the Bible. I was taking classes in pastoral ministry and, and biblical languages. Oh, man. And so I just dove straight in. And I was in seventh heaven. I totally loved my experience. But I quickly learned I'm way out of my league. I'm way out of my league. I was just wet from baptism. And I was in the midst of people who had been raised Seventh-day Adventists who knew the scriptures front to back. And I still remember my first preaching class. I wouldn't have known what a sermon was if I stumbled across one in a park. 
And I was in the front of seasoned Seventh-day Adventists who had grown up listening to sermons. And there was this one guy. He was from Plentywood, Montana. Have you met him? And he was in my preaching class. And man, could he preach. I couldn't believe it. I didn't even own a suit when I came to Walla Walla. And I, of course, I didn't have a tie. And I didn't know how to tie one either. And the first sermon I gave in the church, a little church, I think it was somewhere down in Condon or somewhere, just a little place, it was so bad that they not only paid for me for my mileage, but they paid me never to come back. I was as sorry a Christian as, a, as, a, as there ever was. But Jesus called me brother. Jesus was not ashamed that I was in his family. And he's not ashamed that you're there either. Nor has he ever pulled my credentials or ever thought twice about calling me brother. He's your brother. He's your brother too. We're members of his family. We're drawn to his home. And we're holy by his blood when we accept him as our Lord and Savior. We're not, we're not members, remember, because of what we do. We're members of the family because of what he's done. That's why. You're born into this. It's a gift of his spirit. The Apostle John introduces the story of Jesus' life with a similar affirmation in, in John 1. Verse 12 and 13, he says this, Yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but the will of God. That's what we are, born of God. He's not talking about an infant birth. Being born of God has nothing to do with flesh and blood. It has nothing to do with zygotes and delivery rooms. It has to do with, it has to do with surrender to God. Surrender to Him as Lord and Savior. It has to do with releasing my will to His will. Releasing my will to His authority. And inviting Him to take first place in my life. Just like Brennan did this morning. The number one thing he's been looking forward to is becoming part of God's family, to giving his life to God in baptism. And that happens. That happens by miracle, by Holy Spirit power, not by human power. Yes, baptism is a recognition of that. But it happens by God's will. By God's will. And human will can't regenerate that way. Only God can make us new again. Only He can cause us to become part of His family. We're holy by His blood. We're descendants by His will. He does it. It's His work. He gave, like that verse says, look at it again. He gave the right for that to happen. That was His work, His invitation for me to be family. That's pure grace pure grace. I'm, yes, I'm a child of Dean and Janet. 
But that's just my natural descent. Jesus gave me a whole new heritage. He's given you one too, a whole new heritage. Tell me, tell me family heritage and background doesn't matter in this world. Tell me. It does. It matters a lot. Little did I realize how important that was until my kids got old enough to have some kids come to our house that they were interested in spending their lives with. Then all of a sudden I realized how important it is, this heritage thing. All of a sudden, the heritage of the girlfriends of my boys and the boyfriends of my daughter came into sharp focus. You don't think heritage is important? For me, this was especially true of my princess, Elise. I realized then, like I had never realized before, the risk Wafia took when she took me. What a risk that was. I mean, her clan is significant, both on her mom and dad's side. There was education. There was notoriety. There was achievement. There was heritage. And my family bench There was nothing there, really. Hers was deep. Hers was substantial. I married up. You could probably tell that from the first moment we met, huh? Seeing Wafia and I, you know, God took an even more giant leap when he took me on, when he took you on. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, becoming part of his family, his invitation, his provision, that, my friend, is a step up. That's a step up. That's an eternal step. Eternal step in my heritage, in yours. I like the way Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. That's what you are. You're fellow citizens. You're not foreigners and strangers anymore. By, by God's doing in Christ, in Christ, a stranger, an outcast, a foreigner, you, me, we become family. We're brothers and sisters by God's spirit. We're members of God's family by rebirth. The Bible not only talks about it as a rebirth, it talks about it as an adoption. Some of you have experienced that beautiful act whereby a child born to one family becomes a full and permanent legal member of another family. Adoption. That transaction is one of the deepest and filled with some of the deepest of human emotions, the deepest love. But even stronger and deeper than any human adoption is God's adoption. He's taken us on. And that's the heart of the gospel. Notice what it says in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the right time came, it says, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us. That's what he's doing. He's adopting us as his very own children, his very own family. God's grace incorporates me into his family. I wasn't born there. 
It's not my biological inheritance. It's not my natural inheritance. By nature, by nature, Jeff Kinney deserves nothing. By nature, you deserve nothing, no matter who you are or where you've come from. I deserve death. All of us do. I'm rebellious. I'm disobedient. I'm a lawbreaker, and all of us are. And in this verse, Paul says we're all slaves. We're slaves to the law. I've disobeyed it. I've broken it. I've disregarded it on occasion, and I'm under its condemnation, and so are you. All of us are. I deserve my wages. Death. But through the sacrifice that Jesus made, through his death on the cross, my debt, my unpayable debt, God has paid. And that, my friend, is good news. That's why I'm here today. That's why I'm a follower of Jesus. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Get that, before he even made the world, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. Adopt us and bring us to himself through Jesus Christ. I've been adopted. You've been adopted. Before he made the world, in his eternal counsel in heaven, the Trinity God made a plan an emergency plan made a place for you and for me, for humankind that chose to go our own way. He chose to take our faults, our disobedience. God knew. God knew the chasm that sin would create for you and for me. He knew that it would make an insurmountable barrier that we could never cross. And so he made a plan, a plan to adopt us into his family. He chose us despite my lack, regardless of my inability, and through Jesus Christ, through his accomplishment, by what he can do, by his atoning death, I'm adopted. I'm part of his family. Outside because of my sin, but invited in because of Jesus Christ. I like the way C.S. Lewis put it. He said this, the Son of God became a man for men to become children of God. I like that. I'm born again. I'm adopted into God's family. His perfect character becomes my character. That's what heaven sees. His spirit takes up residence in my life, bringing me power, bringing me insight, bringing me wisdom to, de- to defeat self-destructive, relationship-destroying ways that are part of me, a natural part of me. He, he comes in and gives me strength to face that. He favors me with kindness, with goodness. He leverages the assets of his being, of his power in my behalf. (coughs) He grants heaven's wisdom to direct my life. Being part of his family makes us family. You and me, we're family. This metaphor also has a practical side that I want to spend just a few minutes on as well. And this practical side may be even more challenging than, than the, this, this other that we've spoken of, being adopted and, and reborn into his family. Families, families, think of it, families support each other. Families encourage each other. Families cheer each other on. Families lend a hand one to another. Families comfort each other when there's a challenge. That's how Paul talks about the family of God. 
not merely being adopted into God's family, but being supportive of those that we are family members with. Notice what it says in Galatians 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people than this, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let's do good to all, of course. Let's be good to all, but especially, Paul says, especially to the family of believers. Doing good, that's what a Christian does, right? Doing good at all times. That's Christ in me, Christ in you, in our world. <coughs> doing good, especially during this time of COVID pandemic, is especially important. Doing good, says Paul. Don't weary in doing that. But like he says in the verse just before it, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap the harvest if we don't give up. If our community and country ever needed this doing good, it needs it now. Christians doing good. Christians going out of their way to support. Christians being helpful and kind. If we ever needed that, we need it now. Our followers of Jesus going the second mile. Followers of Jesus extending help and hope and courtesy. Paul says it there in Galatians 6.10, do good to everyone, but especially those who belong to the family of believers. Especially, says Paul. What's that saying to me, to you? We have responsibility, one to another. You don't ignore family. You don't neg neglect family needs. You show concern. You invest interest. You express support. That's what you do with family. One of our precious church office volunteers was moving here recently. And to her house came 11 volunteers, four trucks, and two trailers to move her from her house. And before it was 1 o'clock or so, she had moved from one place to another. Everything moved out of the house, helping. So I, I, that's what I call family. That's what I call doing right, doing good one to another. That's the family of God, helping, supporting, calling, caring for each other. And I have to say another, every Sunday, not just that Sunday, but every Sunday, if you happen to go down to what we call the center, you can see a bunch of people doing good, doing good for those who are in the family of God. What are these people doing? Well, it's the ministry of what we call the center where all the sales help students who are enrolled at our Christian schools in the Walla Walla Valley and at UCA. I call that helping family. Helping family. Recently, I talked with a family member, a parent that was receiving tuition assistance for their children, and they were deeply grateful deeply grateful and they just wanted to thank the church and I want to thank those of you who are who are doing something giving yourself weekly you want to do good to the family of faith you want to do good go down there tomorrow <laughs> go down there tomorrow you say oh I'm too old so are all of them I'll guarantee you <laughs> they're all too old but they're down there they're doing it and you'll also find encouragement. You'll find camaraderie. You'll find 
vitality. You'll find purpose and you'll find a blessing. A blessing of being part of a family and helping family educate family in Christian education. By divine design, God's church is family. By design, Christ unites us. Our care and concern for each other is a hallmark of his church. And Jesus said that our mutual care and concern for each other is like a testimony that, that is proclaimed to the world. He said in John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples. You know this verse. Having love for one another, the governing principle of family, this family is God's love. A love that's active, a love that's hopeful, a love that's supporting, a love that's caring. And that's more important now than ever before, isn't it? With this COVID pandemic creating all sorts of challenges and hardships, one of the most impactful challenges is the distance and isolation that is created in family. What a challenge. I read an article recently entitled, Loneliness is Deadly. I think you know this already, but in this article, the author mentions recent studies showing that loneliness is a serious health risk. We never really thought of it before, but it is, they said. It's as deadly as smoking and twice as dangerous as obesity. Loneliness. Studies have shown that those without adequate social interaction are twice as likely to die prematurely. That's why my, my heart goes out to those who are serving in the care facilities. For those there, my heart goes out to those too who are finding such challenge and loneliness. Loneliness, the article went on to say, has doubled in recent years. And one of the most lonely people are the young people today, the millennials. According to the study in 1980, 20% of those people surveyed said that they were lonely. Today, the same survey found that 40% say they're lonely. It's doubled. This pandemic, and that wasn't taken during the pandemic. You can just imagine what's happened now with this issue this is what the, the article went on to say. Social isolation impairs immune function and boosts inflammation, which can lead to arthritis, type 2 diabetes, and heart disease. In other words, loneliness is killing us. And into this loneliness landscape, God places His church, His ecclesia, His called out ones, His family. God's family is a community. God's family it draws us together. God's family, whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we're young, whether we're old, whatever our race, whatever, whatever our ethnic background, we're together. We're family. That's what we are. Caring for one another. Encouraging one another. Loving one another. This is how the Apostle John says it. In John, 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed from death to life. How? Because we love each other. Because we love each other. That's what God's family does. That's what makes God's church, His family. Yeah, it's hard. 
Yeah, there are challenges. Yes, we come from different places, different backgrounds, different joys, different challenges. We're all unique. We're all different. But our attitudes toward each other aren't controlled by the prejudices that are so rampant in society. Our actions toward each other are not controlled by me-centered ambitions, not in the church. Rather, by God's grace, I see you, and you see me, and you see one another, and every believer as a brother, as a sister, as family in Jesus Christ. That, that doesn't mean that we all have the same opinions. That doesn't mean that we all have the same perspective. It doesn't mean that we all vote Republican or that we all vote Democrat. It doesn't mean any of that. But it does mean that we embrace each other with love, with respect, with honor, with care. Because we're family. We speak about each other. We speak to each other with dignity and decency. Whether we're talking with each other in person or whether we're talking with each other on social media. We always speak with decency and respect. We lean into each other with love and respect. Sometimes it's challenging because we do have different attitudes. We do have different ideas. But we're always loving, right? We're always loving. The atheistic philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche was once asked what made him so negative towards Christians. And this is what he said. I would believe in their salvation if they looked a little more like people who have been saved. What do we look like? What do we look like? Being saved and acting like it. Those go together, don't they? And that's what the family of God is all about. Now, I admit it. It's hard to do. It's hard to open up, to be vulnerable, to be community, to be family. It is hard. It's much easier to put up barriers. It's much easier to hide behind walls it's, than it is to be real with each other. But that's not family. And we're family. We're the family of God. The early church was family. And it was so beautiful and highlighted in Luke's writing in the book of Acts where he talked about the, the, the spirit of mutual care that typified their fellowship. He said this, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Now, I'm not, this is not promoting communism or socialism or whatever. This is Christianity. This is Christianity. This is one believer caring for another believer because they're family. Even though they may be miles apart even though they may be different ethnicity, even though they may be different age or different culture, member shared with member. Member shares with member. We're, we're brothers and sisters. If someone's hurting, there's a common concern. There's prayer. The needy are helped. The weak are strengthened. Those needing guidance are helped with wisdom. That's, 
family. That's the church. And you know what? There's nothing like it in the world. Nothing like it in the world. And that's, how you, that's who you are, village. That's who I am. That's who we are together. So I want to leave you with a couple of thoughts that you can ponder today. Maybe jot them down, talk about them at lunch or this afternoon if you wouldn't mind. First of all, what would you think about this? What grace can I extend to a member of the family of God? Maybe, maybe God's brought to your mind some person that you don't see here anymore, that COVID has kept away from this, this gathering. Let that come to your mind. Think about that person. Give them a call. See how they're doing. Pray for them. Number two, what repair can you make to a relationship in the family of God? Maybe, maybe this whole COVID thing has created some rift. Maybe you've noticed some, some distance between you and somebody else. Step into that. By God's grace, let him bring healing and help and hope. Let God impress you how you can repair or build up that relationship. Think of someone now, would you? Think of someone this afternoon. Number three, what burden can you help another member of God's family bear? What, what can you do? You know, there's, there's many people in this church family, in your neighborhood, in this community, how we can reach out to help one another as family, as followers of Jesus Christ. Because that's what we are. We're family. The deepest, most powerful relationships are built in family. Let's do that here at Village Church by God's Spirit. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of life you've given us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for inviting us to be family together. Thank you that there is no distinction between us, but you've called us, you've united us, and you've called on us to reach out to one another in love, in support, in care, in nurture. So to that end, Lord, we, we want to dedicate ourselves. Because you have given yourself for us, we want to give ourselves to you and to others. In Jesus' name, amen.